Welcome to the Supply Chain Careers Podcast, the only podcast for job seekers, professionals, and students who are focused on career-enhancing conversations and insights across all aspects of the supply chain discipline. This podcast is made possible by SCM Talent Group, the industry-leading supply chain executive search firm. Visit SCM Talent Group at scmtalent.com to search for or to post supply chain jobs. Visit the Supply Chain Job Board at SupplyChainCareers.com. I'm your podcast co-host, Rodney Apple. And I'm your podcast co-host, Chris Gaffney. In this episode of the Supply Chain Careers Podcast, we speak with Stacy Green, Senior Vice President of Sales Operations for Keurig Dr. Pepper. She wasn't sure what she was going to do as she graduated with her degree in industrial engineering, but once she took her first position in supply chain, she became sold. She advises people to be resilient and be ready for challenging moves up, down, and across supply chain functions, emphasizing the need to keep developing, know your strengths, plus your likes and dislikes. She is a confident leader of supply chain teams, highly valuing individuals and their stories. Stacy enjoys focusing on strategy and how to build organizations, particularly the wins and growth that come out of adversity. She likes to provide a clear vision, articulate it succinctly, convince teams that it is achievable, and go after it. She closes with her thoughts about being shaped by the leaders you have throughout your career and the need to understand supply chain as a people profession. Stacy, we're happy to have you with us today. Welcome to the Supply Chain Careers Podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. We always like to start out with how you got into supply chain. What were the key influences that brought you into this fascinating field? My background is industrial engineering. I have a bachelor's and a master's in industrial engineering. So I think that's probably the starting point. But I got to say, when I graduated, I wasn't all that sure what I was going to do with that degree. I think a lot of people have that struggle when they get out. They're not quite sure what they're going to do. And I ended up interviewing successfully with Procter & Gamble and got a job with them as a supervisor in a laundry detergent plant in Alexandria, Louisiana. And so that's where I really got my start. For the first couple of years, I wasn't really totally sold on supply chain as a a long-term career path. I was working off shifts and it was hot and it was dirty and not at all what I expected, what I had learned in school. But somewhere along the way, I learned that I really actually loved it. I loved the problem-solving nature of supply chain. I loved working with all sorts of people. I really enjoyed helping make those people successful. So I had some really great leaders in those first few years of my career that helped cement what my leadership style would be long-term and really get me sold on supply chain as a career path. Stacy, you and I have known each other for a long time, and I did not know that you had a bachelor and master's in IE as I do as well. We have many common experiences, but that's one of them. One of the things that is clear to me is you've demonstrated a tremendous amount of agility. And talk us through, in your mind, maybe a couple of key career milestones. You have navigated a lot in food and beverage and and maybe even others that I'm not aware of, but that agility is something I think is a hallmark of yours. So that's a great question. And I think it's probably even more relevant today than ever. When we started work a bazillion years ago, you expected to stay with the same company for most of your career. You expected to have a fairly linear career path. I just don't think that's necessarily the case anymore. 
And it certainly wasn't the case for me after my first, I don't know, my first 10 years were probably pretty normal, kind of what you would expect, linear, so to speak. But what I found was that you really have to be nimble and you have to be open to different opportunities when those opportunities knock. They're not always going to be what you expect, but sometimes you have to be willing to take a little bit of a gamble on something that might not be what you necessarily anticipated. I'll tell you some of my best opportunities have really come out of adversity, which I think also is maybe not necessarily what you think you're going to face when you start your career. One of the first examples I have of that is actually before I came to work for Coke, between working for General Mills, which I'd had a fairly linear career path with General Mills, P&G, then General Mills, and I just successfully moved up the ladder. But I took a bit of a flyer move and I was president of an ice cream company for not even a year. And I did it for personal reasons. I wanted to get back to Texas where we had family. And so there were some personal things involved. That role ended up not working out so well. The company did not turn around. We went into bankruptcy in less than a year and I found myself out of a job. And that was something I'd never really contemplated in the first 15 years of my career. I'd never thought about, oh my gosh, what do you do when you're out of a job? And what it did was it really forced me to think about what is important? What do I really like to do? What do I really want to do? And to get away from chasing the next title or the next role, focusing on what I like. What I did is I realized that I really like line leadership. I really like supply chain leadership. I really like line leadership. And that's how I got on with Coca-Cola Enterprises at the time. And so that was the first time where you're in this moment of adversity and you have to flex and change and think about something different. The second time was not long after that. I had been with CCE for about two years. We were purchased by the Coke company and the role that I was in was eliminated. And so I found myself facing potential unemployment again and having to decide what to do next. I actually was offered a role leading the field service group for Coca-Cola refreshments, which for people that don't know, that's the group that installs and maintains anywhere where you might get a cold beverage. So coolers, fountains, vending machines, all of that sort of stuff. These people install, repair, and maintain that equipment. I knew nothing about it. I was confused why I was even offered the job. Honestly, I didn't get it at all. But I thought, well, I don't really want to be unemployed, so I'm going to do this for a bit of time and see how it works out. It honestly ended up being my favorite job ever, and I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the process. I loved everything I learned about it. So it was really quite interesting and quite motivating. So what I take out of all of that is that I think we often focus on the job we want because of a title. And for me, at least, that's typically born of ego. And sometimes those jobs aren't necessarily the best jobs. You don't end up being the happiest in those jobs. You got the title, but you may not really like the work. And so what I always try and stress with people that are at a crossroads is think about what you really, really enjoy and then find a role that maximizes that element of the work so that you actually have a role that you enjoy and you'll ultimately be more successful with that and then be able to progress from there. So that was a very long-winded answer to your question, but it has served me well on multiple occasions. That's why we do this series is that 
these journeys, particularly for supply chain professionals, everyone wants a linear path, but it doesn't really exist, at least in our experience. And so I think your perspective and your journey is super valuable for the folks who are listening to this. So that's a great way to dive in. So fabulous. And so, Stacy, you've worked in various functional areas and you've crossed over and you've got to figure out the kind of work you do. I'd love to hear a little bit more about these transitions because I'm sure you've had some large teams moving in from manufacturing to logistics to equipment services to chief customer care officer. Those are vastly different roles. What would you attribute to your success with transitioning into these roles? I think the commonality to all of those roles is they are at their heart people leadership roles. They all involved large groups of people, typically distributed across a broad geography, understanding how to create strategy, get people aligned against that strategy helping people to execute that strategy and be successful at whatever the adventure is, and then celebrate your success. Like that's the commonality through all of those roles. So again, if you focus on what's like versus what's not alike, it's a lot easier to transition, right? Because you can find where you're comfortable. You you can rely on experiences that you've had, where you've had success and be able to quickly reapply basic processes, basic techniques, regardless of the work. The other thing that I always try and do is be curious. I had a boss early on that taught me, you have to be respectful of those who came before you. I think often people that transition into new organizations or new roles in an effort to make a name for themselves, come in and tell the new organization all the things that they're doing wrong and how in their past world or their past company, they did everything right. And that is an immediate turnoff for most people. And so I always try and go in with an inquiring perspective. I want to understand the history of how people got to where they are without being particularly critical of that journey. And then collectively with the people that you're coming to lead, come up with a new strategy of where you want to go in the future so that everybody's bought in and everybody feels a part of it. And it's not some new leader coming out of left field with a completely different direction. You have to build build it with the new organization and help people feel a part of things if you want it to be successful. That's a very good perspective. And I reflect back on long-time recruiting and supply chain and usually these leadership roles, I'd say more often than not, when we're asked to do a confidential search, it's oftentimes around that top-down command and control. These are my ideas. This is what we're going to do versus the way you describe more ground up, getting them involved with a solution and so forth. I think I was really lucky. My very first few roles with P&G were in, back in the day, we called them high-performing work systems, but they were these very egalitarian organizations where everyone was valued, everyone's opinion mattered, everyone had a say. And as a leader, you were much more of a facilitator of getting to the right answer. And so that's another key lesson that I've learned over time is your early career circumstances will have massive impact on your long-term leadership style, right? So my early career was in this very egalitarian sort of a environment. And so that has 
been a lot of how I've approached my work throughout my career because it just cemented how I wanted to work as a leader. Stacey, I'm going to build on Rodney's question and look forward. You and I have been part of some very large organizational transformations, and we didn't necessarily get to control those, but those were and are big forks in the road. And I guess my question for you is learning, because we both did both acquisition and divestiture, what did you learn from that in terms of when you don't control everything, how do you manage and lead yourself and others effectively through those massive times of change and in an operational setting, maintain that operational continuity? Well, I mean, it's not easy, right? Whenever an organization is bought by another organization, obviously everyone gets very nervous. You get personally very nervous and I don't care who you are, what level you're at, you're going to have some anxiety associated with that sort of change. What I have always personally tried to do is as much as physically possible, remove my personal self from the situation and focus more on the organization and the people within the organization and the people that have worked for me, making sure that they land successfully, that they transition appropriately into a role where they could be successful. Back to my comment about sometimes the best opportunities come out of times of adversity is you have to have a bit of confidence in yourself that regardless of what happens, you have skills that are valuable. You have perspectives that are important, perhaps not for your current organization, but for a future organization. And while that white water can be very unsettling, you have to remain a level of confidence in yourself, in your ability to continue to contribute and find the right position for you to be in. One of my big things is I just want to contribute. Often people ask me when I'm interviewing for a new job, well, what's most important to you in a job? What's most important to me in a job is being able to make a difference. I really like knowing that I am in some form or fashion making a difference. And so as long as you stay confident in your ability to make a difference and to contribute you, you will make it out of the white water. Now, to your second part of your question about how do you maintain focus on the operational aspects? What's interesting is I don't think the true operators of the world really care much about organizational change. It, it very rarely impacts your frontline at all. Your supervisors really don't hardly ever get impacted. Even through middle managers, very rarely get impacted by what we call organizational change or restructuring, right? They're still doing the job they've always done. So helping them to maintain focus on whatever your KPIs are, whatever your strategy is, whatever your organizational objectives are. And I think that's healthy for everybody. You know, you can stay focused on the work and not worry so much about the swirl that's happening around you. Yeah, that's great advice. I think as I listen to things that I've heard, that self-awareness is huge. And obviously that's something you build over the course of your career that allows you to try hard to stay away, even though you know those emotions are real. And I also think that idea of being externally focused. If you're serving others, you typically can kind of settle yourself down because you're empathetic towards others. So I think those are great insights. And I think you just have to recognize that it's normal to be unsettled. 
you have to do some self-care, right? It's just probably not at the office. You have to spend some time nurturing your own needs and concerns. And you can do that a lot of ways. Talk to friends, talk to family, talk to whomever. And you have to recognize that, but you need to lead from the front and help calm people's fears, not throw fuel on the fire. Things have been, let's just say, a little crazy here in the last two to three years in all areas of supply chain. But when you think about the talent side, we talked about leadership quite a bit. What about attracting talent, the retention of that talent? You've got the great resignation. You've got people moving into remote and hybrid roles and just a lot of change. What's been your perspective on this? And have you had to make any big pivots to better attract or better retain your people? Yeah, I agree. It's the strangest time I've ever experienced from a people leadership perspective. I think we've all had to throw everything we learned over the last 35 years out the window and adapt and pivot, uh, as you mentioned, to do things differently. I just think the whole workforce has changed. Now, I get a lot of insight personally from I have two young adult children who have recently entered the workforce. Both are in supply chain sort of roles. So it helps keep me grounded in what the next generation of supply chain professionals, how they're thinking, how they're feeling. And I think that we are all going to have to learn different ways of working. You know, certainly the remote working was thrust upon us, right? We didn't really have much choice. But it honestly worked in a lot of places better than anyone ever thought. We were able to do a lot of roles remotely that who would have ever thought you could do them remotely for that long. And my first day at KDP was the day of the lockdown. And so for my first six, eight months of working, I hadn't met anybody face-to-face at my new organization. And yet I was still able to lead relatively effectively. Now, that's very different when you talk about your true frontline, your essential workers who had to work the whole time. I think that we're going to have to remain flexible. I know the younger generation is much more demanding about being able to continue to work remotely. My son's doing a procurement job 100% remotely and loves it. He's perfectly happy doing it. My daughter's doing a planning type role and she's probably 90% remote. She loves it. So I think we have to be as leaders more open to new and different ways of working that allow people to be successful and allow people to have good work-life balance. Something that quite frankly, my generation didn't get. There was no work-life balance. It just worked. I actually think it might be very, very positive and beneficial going forward for us to think about different ways to work together. During this short break, we recognize that this podcast is made possible by SCM Talent Group, the industry-leading supply chain executive search firm. Visit SCM Talent Group at scmtalent.com. To search for or to post supply chain jobs, visit the supply chain job board at supplychaincareers.com. Stacey, you and I have worked for some of the same people, and obviously we've gained a lot of our insights along the way, but we also have been influenced by folks we've led and been led by. Are there examples or people you would want to call out who say have been really foundational in terms of your leadership style, philosophy, that type of thing? Oh, for sure. Ron Lewis always will be a standout for me. He's just a terrific guy, a very authentic leader who would do anything to make his organization successful. He was a very loyal leader and just a super smart guy, right? So I was always very appreciative of Ron, of the time I spent wearing Ron, undoubtedly 
the best leader I've ever worked for. But I think that wanting to be on a winning team is very foundational to a lot of the ways that I try and lead. We talked earlier about change and change management. And I think that tapping into that winning spirit that so many people have. Like some people are super competitive, right? And supply chain is full of super competitive people that always want to win. But even people that aren't maybe over indexing on that side, nobody likes to lose, right? People just don't like to lose. And so when you think about how to motivate people, how to affect change, I have always tried to harness that, right? I have this three-step approach. You have to have a clear vision. You have to be able to articulate it super succinctly. And you have to prove to people that the vision that you have is actually possible, right? What's it going to take to get there? It's not totally crazy to be able to think that you can achieve whatever your particular goal might be. And then you just have to stoke that competitive spirit to get people to really go after it. And I found that to be a super winning combination for me. When I go back to my earlier comment about be careful about your early career and the leaders you surround yourself with, because they'll really influence your leadership style for the rest of your career. All of those people have had strong influence over my leadership style and my success. And I couldn't have done it without them. I I like to say people deserve to be well-led. And when you get in a situation where you can have that impact to people, that's how you get those discretionary differential results. And so I think it's a good lesson for folks listening to say, when you're in a situation where you're looking at a new role, who the leader is does matter. It does matter. It matters in a big way because I had someone early on tell me people don't quit bad jobs, they quit bad leaders. And I really believe that. I've had jobs that I absolutely loved working for bad leaders and I left because I just wasn't comfortable or enjoying the work under a style of leadership that did not mesh with my own. And I've taken jobs that I didn't think I would like worked for great leaders and ended up loving them, right? So it works both ways. But I do think the leader is absolutely critically important to your overall happiness in a role. Stacey, I'd love to hear your perspective. If you were to get your crystal ball out, what would you say are going to be some of the big changes coming in the years ahead? And what are some of the soft and hard skills that it may need to be adapted? Well, I would start by saying I think technology has changed slower in the CPG world than I ever thought it would. Over my tenure, I would have expected us to have advanced more rapidly than we have. But so much of what CPG does is margin compressed and so spending lots of money on really high-tech equipment often doesn't necessarily make sense. Now, the game changer in that is what you mentioned earlier about the changing workforce, right? So those people that we used to be able to employ to do um, fairly repetitive, not super interesting tasks all day long, those people just don't exist anymore. They have gone elsewhere. They have been able to find more interesting jobs, more lucrative jobs, They've gone back to school. I'm not sure, but they don't seem to exist anymore. I don't know where they went, but they don't seem to be around anymore. And so I think that will inherently put more pressure on various levels of the supply chain and to automate because the workers are not available. So it's going to become less of an ROI question. And are we able to save a bunch of money to, are you actually able to operate your business? Because you can't find the labor to do that job. So you're going to have to do it another way. I think that's going to be a game changer over the next 10 years. 
unless something completely shifts back as far as the labor market, which it could, but shifted this direction faster than I think any of us anticipated. It could shift back. But from what I'm seeing right now, I'm not sure that it will. Stacy, we definitely are in a time of continued evolution in commerce. So if you think about advice you've received over the years, as you share advice with people on your teams, what's the most enduring advice that you've received that you continue to share when you're coaching and guiding folks on your team in your circle? Well, I think it's what we talked about a little bit earlier, and that is focus on what you love to do. Don't focus on the title, focus on what you enjoy and be willing to zig and zag in your career path, right? Like I have taken multiple steps back throughout my professional career for a variety of reasons. And every one of those has allowed me to refocus on what's important to me, refocus on what I enjoy doing, rebuild some confidence. Oftentimes you find yourself in those situations and you're a little rattled. You've lost a little personal confidence. You can rebuild your own confidence and it has allowed me at least to then springboard onto the next adventure, which has led to a very interesting career path for me. Not a very planned one, but a very interesting one. And it's allowed me to do a lot of different things in a lot of different businesses Remaining confident, remaining resilient, realizing that no matter how difficult a situation is, you add value, you have skills, you are a person of worth and can find the next role where you will be valued and move on and do something new and interesting. I think so many people need to hear that because you can probably also comment on that when you get in those tough spots you can sometimes lose that perspective. And so in some cases, you need someone to help you reframe. You have thoughts on that. Look, in today's day and age, we are all going to find ourselves unemployed at one point or another. And maybe for no fault of our own, could be circumstances, could be restructure, could be whatever. I don't think anybody goes into their professional life expecting that. And so I think making that less of a bad thing and just kind of a normal thing. It's just a normal part of your career evolution. And to me is super important, especially for young people. Otherwise it does destroy your confidence, right? You know, you've always been a high performer. You've always just been moving up. Everybody's told you you're great. And all of a sudden you find yourself without a job. It's like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? And it can be really debilitating if you don't frame it correctly. So I try and always share that with people. Look, I have had a very successful career. I have been out of work multiple times. It happens. And it's just what you do with it at that point in time that really makes the difference. That's certainly a valuable lesson for others. We just had a candidate we placed that did not work out. That doesn't always happen. Instead of learning from that lesson and mistake that this individual made, chose to chastise the employer and take things out. And sometimes it's better to just cut ties, not burn any bridges. I think that's a super important point, Rodney. The one thing that I have found that's very interesting moving through all the various CPGs that I've worked at and for over the years is CPG is a very close-knit community. And you continue to run into people that you've worked with before. It was so interesting when I interviewed with Cure Dr. Pepper for the role I'm currently in. I interviewed with the chief human resource officer and I thought, wow, that name sounds so familiar. I ended up looking back on LinkedIn. I'm like, oh my gosh, we worked together 
at General Mills 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And within the food community, it's even tighter, right? It's just a very small community. And so not burning bridges, I think is very, very important. Just move on, move on to something better. Stacey, I've got one more and it's not scripted, but you and I are kind of lifelong supply chain folks. And if we're here this long, we have found a way to love it. But we have always worked with sales and commercial people. And in many cases, stereotypically, they get the glory and the supply chain folks just kind of put their head down and shovel the coal or whatever. And as a career, supply chain is much more, I think, in the spotlight. But what is your advice for those looking to enter the field at the front end of their career, given your perspective? To me, supply chain and sales are just very different groups, right? And the personality that's going to work well in supply chain is not necessarily the personality or skill set that's going to work well in sales. You're right. Sales often gets the glory and you have to just accept that and be okay with it because I know I couldn't do a sales job. Like I am just not wired that way. I would not be happy in a sales role. I don't want a sales role. I did that role as president of that ice cream company for a while. And that was about as close as I got to sales. And it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't the favorite part of the job. To me, it's about how do you find joy in what you do? And I find tremendous joy in helping people be successful, in setting strategic direction and getting people to line up behind it and execute it, getting people, especially these large groups of people, getting them lined up and doing what you want them to do and getting them passionate about that. You have to be a person that likes to scorecard. You have to be a person that enjoys numbers and math and tracking things and keeping score. If you're not into that sort of stuff, supply chain might not be good for you. But at the end of the day, I would tell everybody supply chain is a people function, at least in the line leadership side. It is a people function. I have never been a super hardcore technical person. That's just not how I've approached my role. I'm okay technically, but I think I'm really pretty good with people. And that's, I think, the game changer in at least in all the roles that I've had. Stacy, thank you so much for a fascinating conversation today and sharing your insights on careers and supply chain. Awesome. I really enjoyed it. It was great to connect and meet you, Rodney and Chris. It was always a pleasure to reconnect with you as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Supply Chain Careers Podcast. Be sure to listen to other episodes and sign up to be notified when future episodes are released as we continue to interview industry-leading supply chain experts. This podcast is made possible by SCM Talent Group, the industry-leading supply chain executive search firm. Visit SCM Talent Group at scmtalent.com. To search for or to post supply chain jobs, visit the Supply Chain Job Board at supplychaincareers.com.